Hello, and welcome to Jacobin Radio. I'm your guest host, Barry Eidlin, filling in today for your regular host, Susie Weissman, who will be back soon. Today, we're following up on our discussion from a few weeks ago about one of the most important labor negotiations in recent U.S. history, the contract involving more than 340,000 workers at United Parcel Service, or UPS, who are members of the International Brotherhood of Teamsters, or IBT. Last time I hosted the show, talks had broken down on July 5th, and members were preparing to walk out in what would have been one of the largest strikes in U.S. history on August 1st. They were staging rallies and throwing up practice picket lines across the country, sending a message to management that they were serious about getting a strong contract. But on July 25th, the IBT announced a tentative agreement. That put an end to the August 1st strike threat, although it does not fully avert a strike, as the contract still needs to be ratified by the UPS Teamster membership. Teamster leadership has hailed the agreement as historic and game-changing, pointing to dramatic wins on eliminating two-tier jobs, creating more full-time jobs, limiting forced overtime, subcontracting and surveillance, protecting workers from heat and significant pay increases, particularly for part-time workers. Still, some workers are concerned that the contract gains don't go far enough and wonder what they left on the negotiating table by not going on strike. We'll get the latest on the tentative agreement at UPS and what comes next from three rank-and-file UPS Teamsters who have been deeply involved in the contract fight. All that and more when our program returns in just a moment. Hello again, and welcome back to Jacobin Radio. I'm your guest host, Barry Eidlin, filling in this week for Susie Wiseman. After a year-long contract campaign, several months of negotiations, and practice pickets that seemed to be building towards what would have been one of the largest strikes in U.S. history, the Teamsters Union and shipping giant UPS announced a tentative agreement for the contract covering 340,000 workers across the U.S., this past Tuesday, July 25th. That was one week before the contract was set to expire on July 31st. Teamsters leadership has hailed the UPS tentative agreement as historic and game-changing, noting among other things that it immediately eliminates a hated second-tier driver category, creates more full-time jobs, increases health and safety protections, limits subcontracting, surveillance, and forced overtime, among other gains. It also raises wages for all current UPS workers by a minimum of $7.50 an hour, including an immediate bump of $5.50 an hour for part-timers from $15.50 to $21, reaching $23 by the end of the contract. But some Teamster members are concerned that the proposed agreement doesn't go far enough to address key demands, particularly around part-time pay. Many are also wondering what they left on the table by not going on strike. Here to discuss the ins and outs of the Teamsters tentative agreement with UPS and what comes next, we have three rank-and-file UPS Teamster members who have been deeply involved in the contract fight. Justin Allo is a five-year Teamster and a member of Local 542 in San Diego, California. 
He is what is called a 22-4 package car driver, a term we will explain in the interview out of the UPS hub in San Marcos, California. Emily Butt is a 10-year Teamster and a member of Local 243 in Detroit. She works on the local sort at the UPS Center in Lansing, Michigan, where she is also a union steward. John Elward is a 19-year Teamster and a member of Local 665 in San Francisco, California. He works as a regular package car driver, or RPCD, another term you'll hear in the interview, out of the UPS Center in Petaluma, California. He is also a steward and a trustee for the Locals Health and Welfare Board, the North Coast Trust Fund. John Elward, Emily Butt, and Justin Allo, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Great. Okay, thanks for being here. And I especially wanted to thank Justin for taking your, your lunch off your route to uh, be with us to talk about this important contract and tenant agreement. So just to get things started, let's talk about what is actually in the tenant agreement. There's a lot in there. The IBT in their announcement said there were more than 60 changes in the contract. We don't have time to get into every single detail, although I'll note that people who do want to know the details can head to the website of Teamsters for Democratic Union, tdu.org. And there, there is posted a summary of all the changes, as well as a copy of the complete tentative agreement for those who want to actually look through it. But for now, Justin, if you could just kick us off by telling listeners sort of the key highlights of what's in the tentative agreement. Sure. The key highlights in the tentative agreement that's been posted on the TDU website is there's no more the elimination of the two-tier, the 224 position, which I'm currently that's been abolished. There's no more, no four, six punch. What does the four, six punch mean for our listeners? So in certain areas, the company has, they're allowed to abuse or not abuse on, they're allowed to force RPCDs, which are regular package car drivers, two, two fours on a six, seven day punch on a Saturday, Sunday. When that's should be their, their day off. Uh, maybe John can explain that a bit more. But it's forced yes. overtime, essentially. Yes. Correct. Okay, so that's done. Um, yes. Um, they've added Martin Luther King Day as a, another holiday. No driver-facing cameras, air conditioning. Um, there's protection against the PVDs. And then... Can you remind our listeners of what the, what the PVDs are? Personal vehicle drivers. So they're usually only allowed to work during peak season when it should be going in the hands of the Teamsters first. Mm-hmm. But that, that was one of the huge things going into this contract was to eliminate it completely, but there's been a lot of restriction on it. I think, I believe only five to six weeks now during the peak season. So, but uh, it had, the priority goes to the part-timers first and then the outside workers. And to my understanding, and again, this is my first rodeo, my contract. So a lot of the language I'm not too familiar on. We all doing our best to understand the language. It's five years worth of language. So we're doing our best to understand it. If I could just add quickly on the PVC sure. part. So let's say that a PVD takes work off my route. I can tell them that I don't want them to take work away from my bid delivery route. Mm-hmm. And and they cannot take overtime away from me because this last peak, I know some guys liked the eight-hour days that they got during peak because it's nothing compared to when I first started. But some guys wanted overtime and they were saying, sorry, tough luck. We took your work away. And so we can request that work back on our trucks if we want it. Yeah. So. And, and go ahead. 
Emily? I want to speak really quickly on some of the wins for part-timers. Okay. Uh, we were able to get non-educational transfers. So I think part-timers will be able to transfer to find better job opportunities, uh, maybe full-time opportunities. I think that will be really huge. There's also some improved safety language, like not mixing over 70-pound packages on the belt with other packages, which is a, okay. a, a pretty serious hazard that part-timers deal with every single day. Yeah. And then uh, what about the, uh, what, who wants to go through the economics? I know I've been tying myself in knots trying to make sense of some of the economic packages. It's a bit confusing, but would one of you want to walk us through that? Over the life of the contract, every single worker will see a raise of around seven, it's $7.50 over the next five years. Some workers, I believe it's particularly the new hires who work part-time, we'll see the biggest raise. Okay. Yeah. So there, and the, the, again, there's a lot of complexity, but I think the important mm-hmm. thing is over the five-year agreement, there's a minimum $7.50 wage increase over the course of the, the, the contract. Great. Okay. So that's a pretty good summary of just the nuts and bolts of what's in the contract. And obviously there's a lot more complexities to that and we might have time to get into some of it. But that's what's in it. Now, since some of our listeners might be unfamiliar with the mechanics of how contract negotiations work, we've got a tentative agreement now, but what actually comes next? So what's between having a tentative agreement and having an actual finalized contract? So how long will that take? What exactly is involved? Maybe, John, if you could handle this one. Yeah, I, I'm definitely no expert in this, but I'm just going to kind of reiterate what, what the Teamsters have told us so far. So as, from what I understand, on July 31st in D.C., there will be at least two representatives from each local mm-hmm. across the United States and uh, Puerto Rico that will be there. And they will go over the contract and then they decide whether or not to say, yes, you know, we're, we're suggesting a, a vote on this contract or a yes vote on this contract. And then by August 3rd, members should start receiving something in the mail, basically with a list of an updated summary of what we're getting in this tentative agreement, along with voting materials, which I believe are going to be uh, electronic. So we'll be voting online. That window will be open from August 3rd to August 22nd. So we have to get our vote in by that date. Um, As far as what will actually take place had, you know, if a no vote happens, that I'm not 100% sure if I'm assuming we would go back to the table before just immediately going on strike. However, um, you know, the nice thing about this contract, and I was going to talk about this later, but uh, in the last Teamsters Constitution, they changed it so that let's say that we did vote no on the contract. The Teamsters cannot force the contract through as they have in the past. So I'm, I, I don't know that I see that actually happening, but it's just certainly something to think of that at least the members have the ability to say yes or no without the teamsters interfering. So, so there is a, there is a majority rule provision now. So yes. that it takes there, there was, 50. there was not in the past. Yeah. yeah. So. so that's, yeah. So there's a fifth. It's there's now a 50% plus one to reject yeah. the contract as opposed to what happened in 2018 yeah. when there was a majority that voted to reject, but then they invoked this, obscure provision in the constitution yeah, two third amendment yeah <laughs> yeah so that we're basically because less than 50 percent of ups members had voted in the ratification vote that they needed two-thirds yeah. to reject so yeah and and that was one of the 
big victories for the uh, Teamsters United slate um, at the last at the 2021 Teamster convention. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. No, that, that's a really important point that there are these structural reforms that have made the ratification process more just and, and more member oriented. That, that's I really appreciate you bringing that up. So in case you're just joining us, we're speaking with Teamster members, Justin Allo, Emily Butt and John Elward about the tentative agreement reached in one of the most important labor negotiations in the U.S. in recent years, uh, namely the contract at UPS, which covers 340,000 Teamsters across the U.S. I'm your host, Barry Eidlin, filling in for Susie Weissman. Okay, so now that we have a bit of an understanding of the broad outlines of what's in the contract, how the ratification process works, I'd like to go around and have you, each of you sort of expand on your take on the tentative agreement. So what do you see as the big wins, but also where do you see this falling short? Maybe, Justin, if you could start. Yeah, um, it was actually a sign of relief um, with all the momentum built up with the 224 because that's currently what I am. So that was abolished and that was historic because there's nothing that's ever been put into language and actually been taken out. So I thought that was huge. Everybody got wage increases. There are some things I believe that people aren't too pleased about because they didn't reach the expectations of the 25. So what's the 25? The 25 was the landmark for the part-timers and uh, the part-timers ain't and got 21, but they will, I believe at the end of the contract reach 23. And I think the MRAs and things like that kind of play into effect, but. So the $25 base wage was what some part-timers were really pushing for. The contract has a base wage of starting at $21. And by the end of the contract, the base wage will be $23 an hour for part-timers. Right. So, okay. So, so continue, continue on. Uh, so, so, so what are some other sort of wins and where, where it falls short for the contract for you, Justin? Just being able to have protection, like the nine to five rights for us as two, two fours, we didn't have any eight hour requests as the RPCDs. So there's a lot more security going into our classification now as we roll into becoming an RPCD. I'm happy that everybody got wage increases. I think the AC was a huge deal as well. I mean, I think that was a, they were going to cave regardless on that. So how I look at that. And that's pretty much how I feel with that. Uh, the part times, I think they really feel they could have got a bit more on it. Mm -hmm. uh, if I had to be totally honest with you. And that's what we're kind of seeing right now. But as far as the drivers, I think we're pleased with what is there on the table. Yeah. So why don't we go to Emily? So I'm going to echo what, um, he said that the elimination of the 22 fours was, in my opinion, the biggest win in this contract. The general wage increases are better than previously. And I said earlier, part-timers can have non-education transfers and there's improved safety language in the buildings. Where I think it falls short is that there's still a major disparity between part-time and full-time. It's creating big division and disunity in our union. And part-time wages are still substandard in the industry. Okay. I, I think that's fair, what Emily just said. So I've been a Teamster now for 19 years, full-time at UPS. And I started driving in 2006. I know many, many years before my time, there was a time that the part-timers and the full-timers were paid at the same rate. Uh, I know somebody the other day told me, it'd be nice if we could have that back. I guarantee that UPS would never give, <laughs> would never uh, give us that again. That's just not going to happen in, in reality. They would shut UPS down before we could ever get our pay back to 
on the same level. But uh, I echo the same sentiments. I think I would have liked to have seen the um, the part-time pay a little bit higher. The big wins for me, definitely the 22 fours. Each contract, I try to look towards the future, maybe not what's going to affect me immediately in this contract. So I was really upset in the last contract when they put 22 fours in because this screws things up for every driver and every contract looking forward. We're supposed to lay the foundation for future union members, not tear out the foundation so that they go backwards. You know what I mean? So my attitude is that, you know, it's like the AC. Some people are griping, saying, oh, I'm not going to see AC in my car in my career, or I might not see AC in this contract. And it's like 20 years from now, all our trucks will have AC. That's huge. That's a huge win for future union members for their health mm-hmm. and safety. And so I'm, I try to think down the line for those things. Mm-hmm. And so I honestly was very surprised that UPS gave up 22.4s. I honestly thought they would pay $25 base pay before they got rid of 22.4s. Just that, that was yeah. my, my thought. Yeah. Okay. Can you ju- just to refresh people's memories, I, we talked a bit about this in the last episode about mm-hmm. the UPS contract, but John, maybe could you just explain a bit more about what exactly the 22.4s are or were? I guess we can maybe start speaking of them in the past tense. Yeah, so it, you know, in it's funny because I had a conversation with a guy who actually helped on that last contract recently. Uh, I don't want to say his name, good good dude, but he was. We kind of got into an argument about whether or not it was a tier or whatnot. But he, uh, at the time, they were selling it as you know, Amazon's going to start driving, e-commerce is blowing up. We need to start having Saturday deliveries because before we used to just do air on Saturday. That's kind of how I when I started. I would volunteer to deliver air on Saturday. And, and AR is like just like those next day air envelopes. Yeah, exactly. I mean, air yeah, exactly. So, Somebody yeah. pays. It's a high priority package. They want it there the next day. So we had a Saturday operation that ran just for air. And yeah. UPS knew that there was going to come a day that everyone's starting to deliver on Saturdays. And, you know, we see it with Sundays with our, with our mailman that we need to move into a Saturday operation. So they sold it to us in 2018 as e-commerce is blowing up. And so we're going to need to have a new classification or so we're, we're need to find a way to deliver on Saturday. So we're going to have to have a Tuesday through Saturday operation. When they, when they sold, they tried to sell it to us as this is going to um, reduce the number of hours that a package car driver is going to work by having these new classification of drivers. So, Oh, you're working a ton of overtime between 2013 and 2018. You want to see that overtime reduced? Well, we have to introduce a new tier of drivers so that there's more, full-time jobs, which is a good thing, more full-time jobs, but these new full-time jobs are a, a second tier. They're at a lower level. They're getting paid. A, they cap out at $10 less per hour. Like Justin said, they didn't have nine, five protections that they, they can request eight hour days. So uh, these drivers would protect uh, our regular package car drivers from having to work weekends. They would, mm-hmm. uh, they would help our health and welfare and our pension because it's more people contributing and paying into the system, into the plan. So those were some of the key points that they gave us saying, this is why you should vote yes on this to implement 22 fours. You're working too much. This is going to help, you know, uh, lower your overtime. And what we saw in reality, that wasn't the case. 22 fours did the exact same job that we did. They were subject to much more health conditions than us regular package car drivers were because they couldn't request eight hour day. They couldn't, file against excessive overtime and uh, they really bore the brunt of the, uh, of it. You know, they got the, the short end of the stick on that. And, yeah. uh, and, and to be fair, as a regular package car driver, I didn't see my, my overtime drop, you know, we were still working long hours and long days and still facing the same kind of harassment that we did before. 
So yeah. it, it wasn't a good solution, you know? Yeah. And, the ten, and, and, and our union tried to sell it as this is a good thing for us at the time. Yeah. Yeah. And Justin, if you could just expand a bit on the Article 9.5 protections and what the lack of those has meant for you. So what, what that's going to mean for you going forward. It's going to mean a lot more. For me, well, what, what, so what exactly are they though? Like, what what does that mean? That like, what does that article do for you? You have to sign up, and I think John can explain a little bit more because it's fairly new for us. But you're able to put your name up, I believe, at the beginning of the month, and it allows the workload to be within the nine and a half time frame hours. If they violate that any in any way, it used to be triple time. Now they moved that to quadruple. When I hear that. That allows me to not only be on the list, but also more time with my family that yeah. I have. And now with, with the eight-hour request, but I just want to rewind a bit to re, uh, the reaction yet when we found out about the news. Um, I definitely had a sign of relief, but where I wasn't sold yet is because we still don't know about the riders and uh, the supplement. I wanted to know more about the health insurance and the pension. The reason that my, with the health insurance is because my two boys, you know, I have a kid that's on the spectrum. So the co-pays and things like that, I've seen that side being very important for me and my wife and mm-hmm. uh, just being able to be present at home. That's huge for me to be in RPCD now because I do have protection. So, and I've seen, you know, in, any parent I want to reach out to in the union, you know how crucial it is to be present in not only your family's life, but really the kids that are on the special needs. So that is a great deal to me. And I had a lot more to say. I'm a bit nervous, you know, being on the call, you know, so, but I'm waiting to see what the health insurance looks like because I know in years prior from a lot of the seasoned vets, health insurance used to be a hundred percent. Then it went down to 80. And so my thing looking forward, like John was saying, we're looking at the future generations and that's with my family. I'm looking at what is um, going to secure again, every, not just my family, but every teamster family and everybody that's affected with the health insurance. So yeah, just, kind of wanted to uh, touch on that as well yeah yeah no thanks for adding that so, so with the the nine five protection so that basically allows you to refuse forced overtime so as a 22-4 you were no you did not have that protection so you could be subject to forced overtime at management's whim and now oh go ahead Emily. i just want to add that um it increases the penalty for violations but it doesn't allow the driver to just return to work I mean, yeah, I was going to add that part. You can't just say, screw you. I'm not delivering this and drive the truck back. It yeah. has to be. Yeah. 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 So, so there, there, there are some limits to, to, to the nine. There protections. is. But although, but although it's pay the four time pay, but yeah. Yeah. It's worth pointing out that, yeah, when you're, when you're at a, a, a regular package car driver in RPCD at $49 an hour, you're, that means that they're paying you close to $200 an hour to work overtime. Exactly. So yeah. So, you know, you can't just turn the truck around, but it's a pretty steep penalty for UPS management yeah. to pay. So, John, you, you've been around the longest of the three of you. I mean, Emily, you've been, you've been through other contracts as well, so you, you feel free to, to pipe in here. But uh, I just want to hear you compare this contract to the ones you've lived through previously, both the contract provisions themselves, but also the way the contracts have been negotiated over the past, you know, now over the past year versus what you saw in previous years. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'll go first. 
So yeah, when I was hired in 2004, they, you know, they'd recently just done a contract a couple years earlier. So I didn't, wasn't too involved in anything going on there. And then 2008. So, so here's, here's for perspective in 2008, they reached the tentative agreement a year in advance. Here, here we reach our tentative agreement a week before. So it's, it's a, a lot different. Um, at the time, obviously we had a totally different administration. To be fair, my local was a different local than it even is now. They were not very engaged with our members at the time. Mm. And so it was just kind of like, here is, uh, let's see, what was the wage increase at the time? It was a $4 wage increase. Everything else was just an increase in pension and you get to keep your health care without having to pay into it. And mm. so unlike Justin, you know, healthcare and pensions, those are regional and supplemental. So I have a very good plan. I've never had to pay anything into my plan as far as copay or percentage of that. So, I mean, a lot of those things didn't really affect us. It was just, okay, you, you get a $4 raise, but yes or no was kind of how it was in 2008. In, in 13, same, I mean, the, the tentative agreement was reached in April. It was a $3.90 wage increase. And I remember at that time, their big selling point is it's easier to get on a 9-5 list. You didn't have to have a route because there was a time where you had to have your own route, a bid route to get on a 9-5 list. So, this, so you only got the forced overtime protections if you had a regular. If you had a route. Bid, you had to have a bid route. So yeah. this this became okay. Now you get protections if you've been here for four years. If you've reached progression. So I should say when I started and started driving in two thousand six, it was two and a half years to get full time progression. I believe, it, and and the nice thing is that first time you touch a ground package, your progression started. So I in two thousand four, I delivered ground packages just as my progression was started when I went driving and made it a lot easier. Now it's four years. And I know they went from, I believe in, it was either 2013 or 2008, UPS wanted to change it to four years and the union got them to say three years. And then just, it's slowly now, as we know, now it's at four. And then in 2018, you know, we all know the story with that, obviously with the 22 fours. Uh, I don't know the, uh, yeah, our wage increases at that time were 415 over the life of the contract for our 15 cents, our mm-hmm. first raise, you know, had the contract been ratified by August 1st was only going to be 70 cents. So, yeah. I mean, again, um, looking over the past few contracts, again, this is, I understand people being upset about the base wage for part-timers, but it, it would be unfair to say this is not a historic contract and this is not the largest gains we've had. I understand maybe adjusted for inflation, not so much, but We've never had a seven dollar fifty cent raise over the life of yeah. five years. Yeah. I might for I might, might point out that I mean I was looking at the contracts and I think if you look from now all the way back to nineteen eighty two, which mm-hmm. is when the split between the full time and part time right. teamsters were, it's the part time wages in that entire period just in dollar amounts have increased by seven dollars and fifty cents mm-hmm. from nineteen eighty two to twenty twenty three. So for in sure. forty yeah. years. And then, then you have a seven seven fifty yeah. increase just in, in, in the life of the contract. Emily, can you just elaborate on sort of your experience of previous contract negotiations compared to this time? Yeah, for one, the administration definitely involved the members. That was definitely nothing on Hoffa's agenda. Hundred um, <laughs> percent. It was a very hands off approach for the members. We didn't know anything and. A lot of members have been like upset with how much we knew throughout the negotiations. It was still a lot more and they were definitely talking to us and communicating us, which was a big difference. 
And how did they do? Can you can you talk a bit more about how that happened? How you got the communications? Yeah, they uh, the Oz administration shortly after they were sworn in created a an app, a mobile app called UPS Teamsters that all Teamsters could download, um, put in you know their name and what local they're members of, and then they would have access to regular updates. Yeah, directly from the administration. Yeah. Did you hear much from your local as well? My local has been mostly hands-off throughout this whole process. Okay. So you're, you're a part-timer, and, I, and we've already been talking about it, but the, the part-time pay issue has been a big issue. It was what caused the negotiations to break down initially on July 5th before we got the tentative agreement announced on the 25th. So as we've been saying... Um, all current UPS teamsters get a minimum raise of $7.50 over the five-year agreement. Many will get much more than that with various types of seniority premiums, plus the fact that there are certain, what Justin referred to earlier, the MRAs, market rate adjustments for different parts of the country. We've got the minimum wage for part-timers, the base wage rising from $15.50 currently to $21 immediately to $23 by the end of the contract. So we're talking a 42% raise over five years, the bulk of that being up at the front of the progression. But as a part-timer, I want to know, so do, do those numbers tell the whole story? And if not, what is missing from that? Right. Short answer, no, those numbers don't tell the whole story. Yeah. FedEx drivers in our area, for example, they make around thirty-five dollars to $50,000 per year, according to talent.com. And according to Indeed.com, Amazon DSP drivers average around $20 per hour. UPS drivers, on the other hand, can make six figures if they get enough overtime and currently top out at around $40 per hour. What collective bargaining achieved for drivers, warehouse workers, know that it can achieve that for us too. The tentative agreement fails to address the disparity and advance part-timers to a comparable standard. I view this disparity as an existential threat to the union. More than half the UPS workforce is classified as part-time. After the rhetoric to end all tiers, maintaining the disparities between part-time and full-time workers is getting harder to justify. In addition, the historic gains are only historic relative to decades of neglect of the part-time workforce. It does not raise the standard in the industry because it's too little too late. Historic does not raise the standard because the standard was already decades behind, which is why so many people worked under market rate adjustments. Yeah. So there's really just what I like to think of a been down so long, it looks like up to me situation to exactly. <laughs> quote the old blues tune. So we're, we're really talking about, playing catch up with decades of neglect. Like I mentioned earlier, the dollar value of part-time wages has only gone up by $7.50 in the past 40 years since the uh, Jackie Press administration in, in, the 19, in 1982 basically created the two tiers, but the division between the part-time and full-time workers cutting the part-time wage from $12 to four to, to, to $8. So buy $4. So, but but then, by the same token, um, you know you can't necessarily expect one contract to resolve an issue that's been festering for forty years, right? I think that was sort of part of what John was was hinting at. So, 
Emily, what, what would you have liked to see in the contract that would tell you that this contract would be putting you on the track towards greater equity between part-time and full-time Teamsters? I don't have an exact answer for that. All I do know is that the best way to find out is to fight. And I don't feel that we were given the opportunity for a full fight. We were told Mm -hmm. that negotiating is a full contact sport. We were told to buckle our chin straps and we never got to fight. Yeah. Before we move on, that that is actually sort of dealing with my next question, but John and Justin, I want to know if you had thoughts on the the, the part-time wage issue beyond what you've already said. Uh, I mean, I I don't really have much to add. I I just, I I would have, I would have liked to have seen a base pay of $25. I think that, I think that's a fair ask. Honestly, mm-hmm. what about you, Justin? I agree. You know, I thought that was they got an increase, but everybody was thinking twenty five as well. So yeah. I want to add to um, my answer was my personal opinion, but if I want to express like what I have seen and heard from my coworkers who are part time, and I want to support one hundred percent what they want, then that is a minimum of twenty five dollars per hour. Yeah. Actually, that's a good point I, I wanted to, to get your take on uh, from each of you is, could you talk a bit, presumably this has been a topic of conversation at work over the past week, I would think, and uh, what kinds of reactions are you hearing from your coworkers about the tentative agreement? So they, do they see this as a win? Do they see it as a mixed bag, something else? Uh, it seems split down the middle. Some people see more positives, some see it as more negatives, but everybody sees it as a mixed bag, I think. Everybody recognizes this is a historic, but many are questioning if this strike is the, I mean, if this tentative agreement is the most that we could have won. If we fought more, could we get more? I think people's attitude about a strike is a big factor in whether or not they are satisfied with this agreement. Yeah. What about you, Justin? I think she hit it on the nail. I think um, we're willing, from at least in our barn, you know, and I'm sure you've seen across the country, we were ready to hit the streets come August 1st. I think the momentum, the energy, the atmosphere, it definitely was there. So, you know, dealing with 97, um, I don't know, again, when we're going to see this camaraderie and this and this momentum, but um, yeah, I agree with Emily. I think we are ready for whatever's going to come our way against UPS. Mm-hmm. You started off saying, Justin, that you sort of breathed a bit of a sigh of relief when you first heard the news. W- what kind of reactions have you gotten from your coworkers? Just like Emily said, 50-50, split down the fence. Um, you got veteran drivers that say this is the most historic contract, seeing wage increases. You see, um, and then you got other guys, girls too, part-timers. It, it, it's really on the fence. You, you're going to get different um, responses, but it's it's really a very, I don't know how to put it. it you know, just the, the energy is just, it's split, man. I don't know how to really, where this thing is going to go. I do not know. <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. John, do you want to add? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's funny. I have a lot of guys in my building that regardless of what contract they offered us, they want to vote no because they just want to strike. Mm-hmm. You know, which pro- probably not the wisest uh, thing to take away. But we do. It's funny. I have a few guys that have not cared much about union activity that are, are actually very happy about the contract, which I was quite surprised. And I thought that was, I mean, I think that's a good thing because it, makes them you know like they're paying attention whereas they hadn't in the past so a lot of our old timers i know are, are happy about it 
But yeah, some of the younger guys, not so much. And, and well, actually, a lot of the newer, younger 22-4s are relieved we're not going on strike. I know that much, at least for now. I think that, I mean, honestly, most people in my building are, are probably a little bit more happy than, than upset about it. Yeah. Just, just to, that's an honest assessment. I think the more people are, are, are pleased with what we're getting. Right. Yeah, in my building, at least. Yeah, I think, and what, one other thing that I wanted to mention before we moved on is that uh, another of the contract provisions that we didn't discuss earlier is that the company agreed to combine 15,000 part-time jobs into 7,500 full-time jobs over the life of the agreement, which was a big demand in the 1997 contract where they got 10,000 combination jobs. But since 1997, we have not seen any new full-time jobs combined over the, the, the part-time jobs. So that's a, another advance in the contract that we, uh, that we have to mention. So in case you're just joining us, we're speaking with Teamster members Justin Allo, Emily Butt, and John Elward about the tentative agreement reached in one of the most important labor negotiations in the U.S. in recent years, the contract at UPS which is covering 340,000 Teamsters across the U.S. I'm your host, Barry Eidlin, filling in for Susie Weissman. So this is sort of going where I think a lot of you were going already, which is that in the lead-up to the tentative agreement, Teamsters were turning up the heat on UPS by showing that they were strike-ready. There were parking lot meetings, rallies, practice picket lines all across the country in the weeks leading up to this announcement. But, of course, the tentative agreement was reached ultimately without a strike. That doesn't mean the strike's not possible in the future, but for now, the tentative agreement was reached without a strike. And like I was hearing from you, I'm sure that there are plenty of Teamsters out there who are, in fact, relieved that they won't be showing up for picket line duty on August 1st. I have also talked to, and I'm sure you have as well, plenty of Teamsters who were not only ready to strike, but thought that a strike was necessary to win the contract that they felt they deserved. So I want to ask each of you, do you think there would have been a difference between the kind of negotiated settlement that we saw versus a tentative agreement reached after a strike? And if so, what do you think that difference would look like? And why do you think it would have been different? Emily, do you want to take that yeah, one? Yeah, I'll answer that. So my answer, short answer, yes. Um, the messaging of the the messaging of the IBT was, when we fight, we win. O'Brien told us, like I said before, to buckle our chin straps because contract negotiations are a full contact sport. And we listened. We braced ourselves for a fight, and we anticipated a larger victory and more willingness to struggle. I believe that if we were if we carried out a strike, we would hands down have a bigger victory. It still might not address everything, but it would get us closer to where we need to be. And it would be easier to swallow knowing we did everything we could. That's a fair assessment. I'm, um, you know, I don't know, to, to be honest, I don't know, like, for uh, somebody like like a 22-4 position, absolutely, I feel like I would go out on strike. If I if my raise was a difference between 5 and 750, I, I, I don't know that a strike would have made a difference. So I think on a non-economic issue, absolutely, that, that it's going to affect future generations. I feel like a strike would have it would have gotten rid of something like twenty two fours. I'm I'm still not hundred percent sure how that would work out with the part time wage increases that we would like to see, but just my personal opinion. Mm -hmm. 
And then, Justin, do you want to add something to that? No, I think they pretty much covered it. It's uncertain on how what would have came out, you know, with a strike. I, I'm sure with us taking them to the picket line, there's no say how much more we could have squeezed out of them. You know, I don't know what the amount, but I think we, we could have definitely maybe saw maybe on the wage increase for the part-timers, you know, and like she said, just being willing to fight and, and go that extra mile. But again, I, I don't know the outcome of what none of us would have known, but um, yeah, we were willing to go the distance, you know, and see where it would end up. But again, I, that's my assessment on that. Yeah. But beyond the black and white in contract language, do you see that there might've been other benefits or drawbacks to going on strike versus not going on strike in terms of the dynamics amongst your coworkers or for, or beyond the union even? Yeah, I could go off on this one first. I think a lot of us were looking for, especially the younger generation, we're looking forward to going, not saying just on strike, but this would have been a definitely educational tool for us, what the union means. We, we've, again, a lot of us are first generation, maybe not coming from a non-union background. So this definitely seen the, the morale and the, just the union activity across the board. It definitely was motivating. It was inspiring and just setting the course for our future career here and to continue this momentum going forward. So what ha- what has this done? I think it's done a lot. It set the stage for a lot of us that want to become more involved with the union. You know, a lot of us that want to fight more against the employer, you know, for even other guys or girls in non-union industries to unionize what collective bargaining looks like and just send the standards. So I think those are some of the lessons that we took from this move. It wasn't just a moment. It was a movement. And I think it's still, we're still in it right now. So um, there's still a lot of lessons I think we've learned out of this. And I'm damn proud to have participated in it and not sat on the sideline for sure. I hope that if this tentative agreement goes through, members will recognize that the reason we even won this much is through member militancy and involvement. It's only by fighting the companies and advocating for ourselves that we can advance our conditions. So even this minor victory should thoroughly discredit the legacy of the Hoffa administration. And I think it's up to the militant rank and file members who witnessed this fight to summarize that that to the rest of the members and continue to grow the movement. But what do you think, I mean, obviously we're prognosticating here. We're, we're sort of, uh, you know, trying to look into the, into the future, into things that haven't happened yet. But do you think there would have been or could be benefits or drawbacks to striking versus a negotiated tentative agreement that go beyond just the language and the content, that go beyond just more, more of a pay raise? a quicker progression on getting air conditioning or stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. I think it would be very uh, galvanizing and unifying. Yeah. I I think it's fair to say that if it, if we did go on strike, it would definitely be a marker for a lot of younger people, you know, Mm -hmm. and and something they'll look back on is, okay, this is the moment that I realized that I play a larger part in my union as opposed to just the leadership, you know, the rank and file actually has a voice. So I'm incredibly encouraged. I think what everyone else here is saying as well uh, as to how this led up to where we are. I think yeah. that we we need to use this as a foundation for the future and to to build off of this, right. not not retreat or go back. You know, so this should be an opportunity that a year from now, whether this passes or not, where are we at, and how can we 
how can we start laying the foundation for a better contract next time around? I'm hesitant to just throw our current leadership under the bus to say they didn't, they didn't go to bat for us. I feel like they did. I would have liked to have seen more, of course. We, I think we all would have, but this is definitely something for us to build off of because in my almost 20 years here, I've never seen things like this leading up to a tentative agreement. You know, we'd have a, a short union meeting and we would uh, address our top three concerns, you know, what, what's important to us. And then that was it. And we wouldn't hear back from anybody for six months. And then I was like, okay, and this is the next step. So, you know, I, I appreciate what, I mean, we still have a lot to do and a lot to build on, but I think it's, we're heading in the right direction. I put it that way. Yeah. yeah. So. so actually, I want to hear more about that, not just from you, John, but from the others, because, you know, beyond the mobilization we saw in July, like after the talk broke down with the mass rallies and practice picketing and all that stuff, you know, this, this UPS contract campaign in 2023 for the 2023 contract was really a year long effort that involved mm-hmm. workers across the country. So uh, can, can you talk a bit more about what that looked like in your local and your workplace? Justin, do you want to take that one? Yes. Um, yeah. So dating back a year ago, yes, the campaign kicked off. Um, a lot of the stronger locals, 804, 705, they started a movement. And by the grace of God, I knew something big was coming. And I, I just, after, say, the peak season, I was all in, you know, to understand what's coming up with this contract, letting it be my first rodeo. I want to know, again, the ins and outs of this contract, that these that this five-year contract are, the good, are going to be the demands I'm going to live by, and it's going to affect every family for that. So I wanted to get involved, and it was honestly not myself. It sparked a movement within our barn. We started meeting every Friday, and that just kept growing. And then the, the bridge connection from the cross-generation, from the 97 vets, they came out. And then the younger generation, and it just kept building guys that wouldn't normally talk with each other now have that brotherhood and solidarity of going forward. And it's just created this brotherhood that things aren't going to go back the way it was. It's changed for the betterment of the rank and file going forward. And just like John was saying, we're trying to figure out where the direction of where we're going to go after this. And we're going to read that contract, the language, enforce it. It's it's a strong, it can't be a strong contract unless we enforce it. So now we with the energy of the younger generation being involved, they're looking, what's the next step? Well, we're going to start utilizing the unity breakfast on Fridays to read over the contract together. And we're going to be there for one another. Um, it's not only good if only three or four guys know the contract, it's good when collectively, and if we enforce it, that's why I see the fire and grit going in the, in the future direction. So yeah. I want to add for our listeners that if you want to hear more about Justin organizing in the unity breakfast in the local 542 there's a great piece on that in labor notes that you can find online i would encourage you to check it out emily can you talk a bit about what the contract campaign looked like where you were so my local has been mostly hands-off there has been a small group of rank and file members organizing everything and what our officials have done was mostly in response to members taking initiative the main focus of our leadership during the practice picket period was running a drive campaign, which is collecting donations for political lobbying. What I saw in my own building was part-timers at the helm, drivers being mostly disengaged, and local leadership completely absent. What about you, John? Uh, I echo some of uh, Emily's sentiments here as well. Yeah, a lot of it was done from kind of members 
being involved and wanting to be engaged. So we actually, at the time, she's not currently a steward, but she was a part-time steward. We had a really badass part-time steward that was meeting with every, doing meetings with our members in the morning and letting them know about the upcoming contract campaign, have them do the contract unity card, download the app, do, do kind of things that the union was putting out there. And she did a good job of keeping track of who she did and didn't talk to and made sure that people were aware of what was going on. That, that was awesome. I hadn't seen that before in my building. Yeah, our full-timers, like 804, 705, like some of the other great locals and the stuff they were doing, we weren't as engaged. But uh, the practice pickets we did, we did the contract campaign cards, um, and people were engaged and listening like never before. I mean, honestly, I was, I was shocked to see some of the people out there practice picketing that I wasn't expecting to see. It's good seeing that kind of growth. But again, it's something that, at least in my local, it's something I need to build. We need to build off of. I mean, we do have some strong locals in the Bay Area and some people that were incredibly active and then some that are not so active. But that stems from a lot of other issues, as I'm sure you're aware of. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So we've got this tentative agreement announced. And like you've pointed to, there's this kind of organizing energy that's been built up over the course of the contract campaign each of you, regardless of whether the leadership was really fully behind what you were doing, there is this sort of energy uh, amongst the rank and file. So where do you think that organizing energy you built up over the past year goes now? Where do you want it to go? What are you going to try? Where are you going to try to take it? I want us to summarize this to the members that when we fight, we win. We got this far because of how involved members were, active members were, and willing to fight. And I want us to take this into the next contract fight, remembering this. Yeah, I've just in the last couple of years, I've been able to get a lot of full timers that they've been working there for five years or so and never showed up to a union meeting, never paid attention to anything, getting them this last few years to start coming to our union meeting, start paying attention to what's taking place and kind of building off that momentum of getting them to get more people involved as well. You know, so each each member reaching out to someone and then reaching out to someone else. And so kind of building off that momentum, you know, that's, I'm hoping that we'll see more of that, at least in, in my local and going forward. Yeah. I just would want this for all the rank and file across 340,000 to let this be a learning experience that don't forget what the company was trying to do with pushing their propaganda on, you know, to the media and everything pointing us out to just, I don't want us to ever forget how they tried to manipulate or, you know, how they try to pinpoint us part-timers versus full-timers, trying to just only talk about the 93,000 average that when that was, she, Carol told me, never talked about the part-timers, the 224 situation. There was a lot of left that was in the dark, but the rank and file spoke up and we made the public hear our voice. And I thought that was so awesome. But again, I just want to reiterate to not let this ever go away, to, like do COVID, just talking about that and what we went through and experienced. When you talk about when you have someone talk to you about what happened during COVID, the drivers and even part time, sometimes we forget about it because we went right back to work and we put that on the back burner. But when you kind of have, when you sit down and actually talk about some of those stories, man, it kind of gets real, real deep because of what we went through. And I don't think it really resonates with people until they actually sit there and think about it and unpack on what they went through. So just not forgetting the pandemic, not forgetting about what the company tried to do. They even utilized trying to push their propaganda on the fantasy football. There was, they were trying any way to just, you know, sell it to the public about us and we were catching it, but the rank of file was there thick and thin, you know, to, to go ex, you know, to, to meet them. And 
Um, when we did find out the TA was there the next day, all the customers, it was like three or four customers, each driver would come back. The public was on our side, you know, and good. congratulations. It was like we won and it, it was a good feeling, but just to know like the public was really, you know, with us, that was something that was really cool to experience, you know? So, but yeah. yeah. So now more generally, once the contract is settled, as a reminder to our listeners, the contract is not settled. It is subject to a right. membership vote and the members can vote to accept or reject the contract before it is formally ratified. But once the contract is settled, what do you see as next for the Teamsters? So what do you see as the next steps in the work of turning the Teamsters around? So where do you want to see your union focusing its energies? John? For me, I mean, I want to see more organizing and I'd like to see the membership grow. So some of those things, I think that I appreciate what they've been doing with Amazon so far. I know that people on both sides of the fence with this contract and, you know, what will happen with Amazon going forward. But I appreciate the things they've been doing lately with organizing Amazon. I feel like that's a huge step forward. You know, I would like to see our membership get back to 2 million and increase our density like we had many years ago. And then continue with engaging rank and file members. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the biggest key for anything moving forward. Because when you have rank and file members that, if every member knows that they are an organizer, that's what's going to build our union so going forward. So I feel like that there needs to be more education and more, you know, the more hands-on. Like, I, I don't think that the Oz leadership is going to step back and not talk to us again until the next election. I have a feeling they'll stay engaged. And I want to see them continue to, to train uh, every rank-and-file member to, to become an organizer. So, Emily? I think... We need to emphasize member action and depend less on our representatives. I want to see the Teamsters focus its energies on building unity by eliminating all the tiers in the contract. And if we can do that, then we will be the biggest force to be reckoned with that we have ever been. Yeah. And Justin? They pretty much hit on the nail. More organizing and just the one-on-one interaction at the gates. You know, when us leafleting out at the gates, doing all this all the interaction at the gate, getting up early, um, organizing on Fridays to continue this, you know, and, and just to keep building on that and going in the right direction, you know, with the part-timers. Don't let this movement just kind of go down, just allowing it to keep, not just because of contract every year until the, you know, until the next one and just keep building it, like Emily said, and just showing up for those part-timers. So they don't think that, oh, we were just out here for the contract. We actually care about the part-timers and we keep engaging with them and just, being on there on a consistent basis, man, just there hearing them and making sure that their voices are heard. And I think that will go a long way, not just for a political vote or things like that, just hearing them. And I think once you build relationships, that goes a long way because now they trust you. And that's where it's at. Right now. Yeah. I want to say one more thing. I appreciate Emily and John and Barry being on here. I'm still learning myself. I've only been involved with the union within one year. So just this whole thing has expedited the process, but I'm damn proud of our rank and file and our barn and what we've been able to do. Might get choked up because again, we've seen 97 vets and part-timers, you know, uniting and stuff at three in the morning on a full day's route, you know, for them to do what they're doing. This is not going to stop. It's going to continue and it's not over. You know, like we said, this TA is still got to put up for a vote, but from the east to the west and everywhere in between, it's a beautiful thing to see. And just like Emily was touching on, we're going to be a force to be reckoned with going forward. 
Yeah, I, I, I appreciate what you've been doing in your local, Justin. I've seen it online, and I'm inspired by it. So just, yeah. It's the vets. Again, you know, like we're saying at the end, it's just, I think what we were lacking was the the veterans, you know. Uh-huh. Um, just being at the gates, there was a lack of involvement. And I think I was looking like, where are the vets at, you know, in yeah. here? And so I think Greg said it best. You know, we didn't wait for anybody. We got involved. And that's yeah. just my, the highest human act is uh, inspiration. You know, so I'm just hoping that it can inspire anybody in their barn to get involved. And I'm like I said before in this, I'm damn proud to be a teamster. And I hope that this can touch somebody in in, in a different local from the Bay to L.A. Forget Emily, where you're from, but just even in your barn, you know, that this can actually spark and bring real democracy inside the workplace and and the rank and file going forward. And I think it is. It's, It's heading in the right in the right direction. Yeah, it's awesome. Anything else you wanted to add? Just one final statement. Okay. When we fight, we win. <laughs> that's Damn that's right. a great way. That's a great yeah. way to wrap things up. Yeah. So, John Elward, Emily Butt, Justin Allo, thank you so much for your time. Particularly Justin, taking your lunch break sure. on thank your you, route man. for for being with us, and thank you for a really informative and thoughtful conversation. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Susie Wiseman. This is Jacobin Radio. Thanks to producer and director Alan Minsky and to Jacobin Radio's Micah Utrecht. Bhaskar Sunkara is the founder and editor of Jacobin Magazine. And special thanks to Robert Brenner. And thanks to you for listening. I'm Susie Wiseman.